Welcome to The Grizzly Beat, a podcast of Grizzly Times and Louisa Wilcox, where we interview scientific experts, managers, Native Americans, writers, and others to share their knowledge, perspectives, and experience. This comes at a time of enormous interest in the grizzly bear's future as the government proposes to remove federal protections and citizens are asking important questions. We hope the information shared here will help listeners shape their own answers. So my name is Louise Wilcox and I'm here with Grizzly Times and delighted to be interviewing Jack Locker, who is a rock and roll musician and a conservationist who's using his music and, and many other talents to save the environment from mounting human threats and climate change. And I met Jack in Bozeman over 10 years ago. Uh, I was blown away by the fact that he and a friend had driven all the way from L.A. to Bozeman to speak his mind about the federal government's proposal to strip uh, protections for grizzly bears in Yellowstone. And he offered up a really interesting um, vision for recovery. Uh, and it, the room was packed and it was intense. And uh, But not only that, Jack has stayed active and informed about grizzly bears and a lot of other conservation issues since then. So thanks so much, Jack, for, for joining us. Okay. Thanks for asking. One of the questions that, that comes to mind, because you have been so dedicated to this issue of grizzly bear protection for so long now, uh, and yet, you know, you live in L.A. and you're, you know, a musician. Why do you fight so hard for, for grizzly bears? Well, I think it's just that I see all the adversity that they face in the, in the wild against namely uh, human political forces and people <clears throat> behind the politicians. And um, I, I just have this uh, strong connection with them um, that's like conscious and unconscious. <clears throat> and um, from when I was uh, a wee young lad. <laughs> and so... Um, it's just kind of stemmed from there as well as what I've, uh, learned about them over the years from reading and just following and actually just knowing you and keeping up, um, at times just on, on, uh, things you're interested in, you know, as far as the writing about, about them and their situation. And, uh, it's just, you know, uh, keeping informed on them. I know how much they got going against them and actually, as a musician, even when I moved to L.A., I'm originally from Chicago, and um, it, the chance of making it in music, your own original music, is like 1%. Mm-hmm. You know, 1% of 1%. And I'd say it's probably even less than that right now. Um, but um, So I understand the adversity part as well. I could relate to that on a personal level for something else. And then um, just... Uh, even understanding the bear, like in the in, with the Indians uh, tribes that that celebrated the bear with their totem and still do, it was the uh, most important spirit animal for healing. And mm-hmm. so um, I've always kept that because I've always felt that, and so I had that connection too. And um, that's pretty much it. It was, it, you know, and. It, it, I, whatever I can do to, to help, you know what I mean, and try to preserve our planet, and especially for the other animals. Um, I'll probably talk about that a little later, some of the things I've done. Oh, great. 
Well, Jack, uh, as you know, Wyoming is, the state of Wyoming is moving ahead. Uh, since grizzly bear protections have been stripped, they're moving ahead to reinstate a trophy hunt for grizzly bears. And it has been banned since 1975 when the grizzly bear was originally listed under the Endangered Species Act. Uh, they're talking about killing um, up to 24 grizzly bears on top of a, a lot of mortality that's occurring for other reasons. What's your response to this? Wow. Um, well, I'm not surprised. I've, I have a serious problem with this decision because it's politically driven and not in the best interest of the Yellowstone grizzly bear. Basically, the same groups of people that have been trying to get the, the Yellowstone grizzly bear delisted for years got wise and utilized a U.S. mass media campaign that concluded that there are plenty of bears now and we can revert back to individual management and trophy hunts without specific protective regulations, requirements, or new guidelines for properly monitoring grizzlies. Yep, this uh, deadly combination is what brought the Yellowstone grizzly to the brink of extinction in the first place. And also, identifying problems and overseeing their health and welfare takes a budget, and that state politician state politicians could one day decide that it needs to be cut, for example, in favor of some human services of some kind. Um, worst of all, if one of the states surrounding Yellowstone Park fails to maintain their, quote, unidentified responsibilities and grizzly bear numbers plunge, there's no federal endangered species safety net in place for a quick reinstatement. Uh, a Yellowstone grizzly bear petition would have to go through the slow-moving political process from the beginning, and right now it takes about 12 years to be listed on the Federal Endangered Species Protection List, mm -hmm. and there's currently a backlog of over 500 species. Yeah. So who is behind the politicians who want to delist the Yellowstone grizzly? Federal Fish and Wildlife Service representatives, deep-pocket lobbying groups consisting of trophy hunters, some cattle ranchers, <clears throat> energy developers, excuse me, and uh, land developers. Mm -hmm. um, what you were saying is kind of what I what I know to be true, which is the the Yellowstone grizzly, while receiving federal native species protection, have been killed at approximately 50 bears a year mortality rate mm -hmm. due to human conflicts, hunting accidents, and roadkill. If their population is at 700 bears, although Fish and Wildlife Service use a convoluted method to arrive at this number. <laughs> Most bear biologists and experts agree that they cannot sustain anything approaching a healthy population. This number increases. Mm -hmm. Also, you have well-documented on your website, grizzlytimes.org, Yellowstone grizzly bears currently face many hardships to their survival. They could easily spiral out of control without federal endangered species protection because they are not a fully recovered species. Um, from what I gather, the most important segment of the Yellowstone bear's population is birthing age females. Now, for example, due to climate change and loss of two major key food sources in their diet, white bark pine needles and spawning river salmon, bears have to change their diet to eating more meat. Mm -hmm. uh, Yellowstone bear biologists are very aware of this, increase 
in having to hunt for survival is more dangerous to bears over time, especially birthing age females, Mm -hmm. which would include vulnerable mama bears who hunt with their cubs in tow. Correct me if you will. In in the previous attempt to remove the bears' federal protection, over 90% of Americans and people from around the world that commented during the Fish and Wildlife Service open comment period period were overwhelming against the listing? You're absolutely correct. Um, It was over 99% 10 years ago and over 99% of the public comments most recently this last year were the same. Over 99% opposed to hunting and and delisting removal of protections and asking for more protections and bears in more places. So, Yeah, so is this a government of the people or of trophy hunters and land developers? And on that note, (laughs) I need to add that the American people and world people who care about the federal issue or this federal issue need to be correctly informed. Uh, They needed to be armed with the truth in order to form an accurate opinion about Yellowstone grizzly bears population. The TV news features and newspaper stories covering this issue in the U.S. mainstream media all seem to be missing important information in the narrative about their situation. Mm -hmm. The critical thinking of most Yellowstone bear biologists and experts that would have completely refuted Fish and Wildlife Service claims were always left out from the conclusion of this, quote, delisting success stories. Mm -hmm. That's my response. Mm -hmm. Really true. So, Jack, I want to revisit when I first, the time I first met you back in 2006 when you and your friend drove to Bozeman for this hearing about delisting Yellowstone grizzlies, and it was packed at this hotel, and it was really intense, tense, emotional uh, meeting for a lot of people, kind of on both sides, but more on the grizzly bear side. But what was your impression of the hearing and the comments by agency representatives like Fish and Wildlife Service Recovery Coordinator at the time, Chris Servine? Um, making claims that, oh, bears are doing fine, numbers are doing fine, fair enough to delist, we can hunt. What was your kind of emotional response to all of that? Yeah, well, I think wasn't his thing saying that hunting would keep the bear numbers in check? Yeah, he was, yeah. <laughs> I recall. Anyways, um, initially I was under the impression that Fish and Wildlife Service were the good guys in the story. They worked mm-hmm. hard after all, to study the grizzly bear and increase their numbers once they were listed. Now the agency wanted to give back the responsibility to the surrounding states, sort of like a football quarterback handing off the football to his running back. Mm-hmm. But no. Unfortunately, the reality is, is that the Yellowstone grizzly bear is not recovered, and the prevailing political attitude of the states surrounding Yellowstone is one of intolerance toward the bear and focuses on hunting license revenues. Mm-hmm. The best solution to the inbreeding problem of their population that's been isolated for over 85 years has been omitted from their recovery story altogether. The Yellowstone mm-hmm. bears need to be connected to the other remaining distant bear populations at Glacier National Park and up to the Yukon in Canada. A strip of wildlands called the Yellowstone to Yukon Corridor, or the Y to Y, is a viable solution. Mm-hmm. Right now, the Fish and Wildlife Service solution to genetic diversity has been to fly in male bears from Alaska or wherever to mate amongst the Yellowstone population. Yeah. This would, of course, require an ongoing human intervention. 
Grizzly bears and all other roaming animals would benefit from this available wildlands corridor Mm -hmm. that has not been pursued, unfortunately. Now that the Yellowstone grizzly bear is delisted, the most likely outcome will be that private claims will be made to this land and this opportunity will be lost forever. Um, The last time I got up with you, you you were telling me that the Indian tribes in the area have stepped up to offer some of their tribal lands to link the Yellowstone Grizz to other bear populations. Yes, they have. There's been a lot of interest in tribes saying, you know, we'll take bears, you know, um, Rocky Boy, Cinnaboyne, Sioux, yeah, a number of different people, or uh, Crow even, um, basically said, well, we've got, we've got land, bears were here, you know, if there are issues. They've made formal statements to that effect to um, the Secretary of Interior. Uh, and undersecretary, you know, went to D.C. and sort of said, hey, you know, there's an alternative uh, to what you're doing if you involve us, which the government hasn't, which is why the lawsuits, uh, one of the lawsuits is being brought by, um, like, 17 tribes. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, I imagine there's probably a different set of hurdles before that could ever come become a reality as well. You know, oh, yeah. but one way, I hope they, hope they can finally get that, taken care of before they're delisted you know i mean i mean i know right now they're delisted but i mean you know before maybe you know after the court case they'll see the light yeah yeah If, if, if you know if the tribes win on their claims and their powerful ones which is the government failed to even talk to them consult with them uh before delisting um and if they win uh you know what they basically offered is kind of co-management of grizzly bears, you know, in, in certain situations like on tribal land because they don't necessarily have all the expertise to manage bears, but they certainly can, can co-manage and do that with many other species, endangered species like, you know, Mexican spotted owl and stuff. So it's not a new concept. They did pretty well for about 10,000 years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know. well, there's that. Yes, indeed. Well, speaking of Yellowstone Yukon, since you brought it up, um, you wrote a wonderful song. Uh, that I love um, about the Yellowstone to Yukon initiative and the vision. What was that experience like, and, and what kind of response have you gotten? Okay. Well, that's kind of interesting. I actually had written that, like, during a recording process as a final song. And what I ended up doing, I, I went to Vietnam after that, and I did a sing-along of it at a beach resort in, at about 2 in the morning. And a group of kids in the audience, <laughs> that was pretty funny. A group of kids in the audience really liked it. And afterwards, they asked me more questions about grizzly bears and where they could purchase or hear the song again. And well, unfortunately, I only had one copy with me. Yeah, right. Um, huh. And the band broke up, like, right after the session. For it's one of those that made it to the recording and then imploded type uh. of things, and uh, um, so what I ended up doing, I put a, a group together and we did a one-off at a at a Long Beach Marathon and we played it there, huh. and uh, so that was really cool. the only time we played it in the U.S. Um, but the song is as relevant today as it was when I wrote it, if not right. more. Right. Um, the Yellowstone Yukon corridor still needs to be realized, and now the Yellowstone Grizzly is officially delisted for all the wrong reasons. You know that's, uh, you know, why when I put a band together, I'm going to be playing that one. Right. Yeah. But you've you've just really carved an interesting course in your life, being 
a musician and dedicated to your music and, and also a, a committed environmentalist. How, how do these two areas, like, converge for you? How do you make that work? Well, you know, I've written songs about the grizzly and other threatened wildlife, you know, and uh, some of the tunes expose the mistreatment of our planet while trying to show how amazing these places are and the importance of their survival. Other times uh, I might use an animal as a fun reference because of what they represent a positive light or cultural significance or just people go, ah, oh, aha, you know, an elephant, you know, like, like just talking about an elephant, you know, and for example, all this, you know, elephants that were killed in Africa, right. you know, the last couple of years, it's just, it's so alarming, you know, so I wasn't hitting the hammer over that issue. I just all of a sudden brought up an elephant, you know, mm-hmm. you know, so it's, it's kind of subtle, but it just depends, you, you, you know, on the direction I want to go, but that's usually what I do is I'll incorporate it in a song. Well, you also set up an interesting project uh, called Planetary CPR that combines music, entertainment, environmentalism. Um, you know, maybe you can share what your experience with that has been like. Um, sure. Um, let me see. I had recorded a demo of a song. It was called Planetary CPR back in, uh, like, 2000 and nine actually and that was like pretty much some of the last recording i was really doing but it stands for conservation preservation and restoration of wildlands Mm. eventually i thought why do i have to leave it up to chance for people to get the message from a song that might not even see the light of day i mean because the whole thing when you write a song um you know it's kind of like you know, doing anything, the more you do it, the better you kind of get at it. But you usually leave empty spaces up for people to internalize the meaning, mm-hmm. you know. And I, I really thought, wow, you know what that, what, what do wild, threatened wild animals and species on the brink of disappearing need the most? Conservation, preservation, and restoration of their habitat where they live. Right. So I came up with a way of joining people together. I created a music musical variety show that featured a guest speaker to speak about local environmental issues like saving an endangered species or example how to react to a grizzly bear in your yard if you live in grizzly country uh-huh. the model would feature three musical acts and two variety acts a magician comedian or dancers oh, fun. um yeah, it, it, I had I had one good one, and then I had another one. And but quickly, what happened was it, it was it it takes upfront money to make yeah. these things happen, mm-hmm. and I, I really lacked a budget on what I'm doing now. You know, for like venue deposits, security, insurance, mm-hmm. proper advertising, promotion to sell tickets. So um, I I got the experience of doing it, which is which was terrific and i thought i'm just going to refocus on making a band this year and then you know when i can you know when it, when that starts taking off then i can have a show that has a specific environmental issue or something for the bear well that sounds inspiring and, and i wish you the best of luck with that it's a very very cool idea so, yeah, yeah, that's why I kind of wanted to talk about it a little bit, just because yeah, yeah. you know it was it was a 
really good idea. And yeah. I even had like the idea of like going into schools and doing that. But it's yeah, like yeah. Be because great. of all this crazy stuff, because like Timothy Treadwell used to do that. You know how he used to go to schools and talk to kids? Yeah, yeah. And um, I thought, wow, I'll put these presentations on in school, you know. And I mean, hey, no naughty words, you know, mm. no dick jokes, whatever, yeah. <laughs> you know. Because, like, I had this one lady comedian, and she was, like, she, like, she did a, sh- a bunch of shows, you know, in front of the military, you know. And so she, she's like, oh, I got to really clean up my act for this, you know. But <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, it was pretty funny. And uh. then um, what, ha- what I found out is, like, Parents are like, they're hypersensitive right now. I mean, even for the last couple of years, because of all the stupid killings and all what's been going on, yeah. you know, that, it, you know, so it's just, it's made it, it's really harder to even get in schools. You know, you almost need like that kind of clout and a track record and this and that, you know, mm-hmm. and, and I mean, let's face it, I'm a rock musician. So rock musician has always been about being edgy anyways. So it's kind of almost counter that, you know, which I, <laughs> right. you know, so it kind of creates a, a perhaps, perhaps some problems. And that's why I said, you know, I'm just going to just get a new band together and, and just, uh, just take it from there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, that sounds great. It really sounds fun. So, Jack, you know, there, we've had discussions about this a lot, but we've got obviously a White House that is staunchly opposed to environmental protections, and we've got the Trump administration, you know, trying its best to roll back, you know, all environmental safeguards across the board, including national monuments and, and even targeting the Endangered Species Act. Um, as they promote the interests of uh, corporate America, um, what do you what, what what are your thoughts about what is needed to fight back? Well, the the U.S. mainstream media is not independent, and ultimately, it serves the billionaire ruling class. As uh, as I commented earlier, a one-sided news media campaign was utilized to create a false picture about the current situation of the Yellowstone grizzly bear population. Mm-hmm. This, of course, is very problematic. We desperately need an independent news media, not smoke and mirrors and half-truths and lies. I uh, still think activism is the best way to push back. However, I also think the U.S. political system has become more corrupt and broken. Corporations centrally based in other countries can give unlimited campaign contributions to put a U.S. politician in, into office for a Supreme Court ruling called the Citizens United decision. Right. Also, unreliable electronic computer voting machines that can be rigged and do, and do not produce a paper ballot trail to verify the outcome are currently used in most states. This was ushered in after the 2000 presidential election. In these states, voters must trust an election official to give them their unverifiable election results. This is all a way to perpetuate the rule of the people in power who are deciding the issues. While the U.S. likes to promote a mask of democracy, the merger of state and corporate powers is called corporatism or fascism. So uh, what is really needed to fight back? Americans have to get the money out of politics and get rid of electronic computer voting machines, or 
the super wealthy ruling class will continue to maintain their power and decide the issues that affect this country and our world for themselves. Screw the poor, screw the environment, and create wars to keep the money flowing. It's a simple model. Right. It is. <laughs> I know that's a lot to say, you know. Yeah, yeah, no. You know, I mean, yeah. I was big on America most of my life, you know. So yeah. it, it, it's just it's just the America that I was taught was a certain way is not the way that it is. Okay. Maybe it wasn't then either, but it yeah. definitely isn't now, you know, a government of the people. Yeah, I agree with that. And, uh, yeah, just the ability of citizens to really make, you know, be involved in decisions. And, and that's one issue with delisting. I mean, you take the federal protections away, the only people who matter, even though you've got a nationally important species, the only people who matter in the decisions are people who live in Wyoming, Idaho, and Montana. And most of them, uh, who are listened to by the state governments, are hunters or ranchers. And so the broad public that comes to Yellowstone wants to see grizzly bears, you know, may not even know about the trophy hunt, um, has no voice. They cannot be involved. It's up to a very small minority. And, and that's kind of symptomatic, I think, of the broader problem that you were just describing. You know, I remember just at the hearing when, when, when there was people from the area that were saying that, mm-hmm. you know, like, hey, you're not from Wyoming, you know, go. And I'm like, no, this is a federal issue. It's not a state issue. And, you know, on that note, you know, I think there's like a lot of ranchers and even hunters that, that, that might not have any interest in killing the bear, but, you know, they're not going to say anything, you know. And, that's, um, yeah, that's been a problem, you know, and just in my long work around this region and meeting lots, you know, ranchers and loggers and different people, and, and there are a number of folks, you know, ranchers included, who are doing some amazing work, coexisting with bears, trying to figure out, you know, how to get, keep their cows out of their way, how to, you know, uh, share techniques using electric fence. Some people use guard dogs and all this good stuff, but it, a lot of those folks will not speak to the press about it even though they're tremendously, um, you know, they're making a big difference and a positive well, one. So it, 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 yeah, it, it, and it's just, you know, it's a, it, I know, it's just what it does, it creates an era of neg- negativity. Mm-hmm. And, I, I mean, that's the, the whole issue. It's like you've got all these people that are moving to the area. You know, they don't know how to deal with, with, with bears because they don't even really have the experience. And then you have most human conflicts always ending in the death of the bear. So, you know, and they, they don't even know about pepper spray, which is like so much more, you know, I don't have a percent or a number, but compared to like trying to shoot a bear, you know, if, if you miss or you wound it, it's still going to come at you and they run twice as fast as people. Where if you make this, if you use this bear pepper spray, it makes this big cloud, you know, and it backs the bear off. He leaves. That's mm-hmm. it. And yeah. you walk away and so does he. Yeah. Well, there's more and more people using it, well, especially in the national parks, but it's outside the parks um, where, uh, you know, some of the good old boys think, I ain't going to carry bear spray, I'm just going to carry a gun, you know, that kind of mentality, despite the proven record of bear spray. Ninety-four percent of conflicts, you know, close encounters um, have been stopped with spray, and that's published data. So it it works. It's just a matter of getting people to Yeah, it was created by a guy that was attacked, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Mark Messini, one of the guys. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, having said what you said about the, 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 
the system, our governmental system, and the need for, you know, sort of some major comprehensive reform. And, well, that's uh, the thing. It's broken. The system's broken, so how, you, it's hard to fix issues when the system's broken. I'm sorry for cutting you off, but that's no, no, no. like what I was trying to get at, you know, even though I, I don't know if I exactly put that part into words. Yeah, no, I, I agree. <sighs> I mean, I just kind of described it because it's kind of a, a almost like a complex thing in some level, but it's like it's like a it's like the, a missing link. You know what I mean? That yeah. people will get like they get oh well yeah money controls everything, but they can't understand it. it's the people with the money that are controlling everything. And you know until you fix the system, it's it's just all it you you can't fix the issues. You just can't. Right. Right. Well, given that, and given the daunting challenge that fixing the system, you know, kind of would absolutely require, um, are, are you optimistic that we can make these changes? Are you optimistic of the, about the future of the planet and, and grizzly bears? No. No, I'm kidding. No, <laughs> I am. <laughs> yes. But we need to give people and younger generations coming up some hope and something to work with to understand that wealthy political forces were able to remove the Yellowstone grizzly bear's species protection prematurely is to understand that the process was gamed. Um, a few months ago, I was reading a book by Jane Goodall called uh-huh. Hope for Animals and Their World. Uh-huh. It was about her encounters with people who have saved different species of animals from around the world from being uh-huh. wiped out. And the common storyline was how individuals or a team of people that got involved would do whatever they could to keep a threatened species in our world and in the wild. Yeah. Often they had to overcome many hardships to make their survival happen. Right. And this hard work instills hope that good people can prevail over greed and profit. I'm still somewhat optimistic about the Yellowstone Grizzly Bear Court Appeal, Many well-respected bear biologists and bear experts who have studied and monitored the Yellowstone grizzly population for years have voiced their dissent against the Fish and Wildlife Service opinion that now we can celebrate their removal. Mm -hmm. At this point in time, there are many reasons why the Yellowstone grizzly bear protection should not be taken away, and a fair and honest judge could reverse this wrong-headed decision to delist. And lastly... I want to thank you, Louisa. <laughs> it's your extra effort with grizzlytimes.org and this podcast that helps keep me, people like me, optimistic about their future. Well, thank you. And uh, it's, uh, it's, there are so many different perspectives and, and experiences that if we can harvest just even the small successes that are out there, I think there's a lot of optimism in that. I think that's what Jane Goodall, you know, talks a lot about, the power of the individual. Um, and Margaret Mead did the same, the power of the individual to, to make a difference. And so, I mean, podcasts are great because um, I can talk to people like you about your experience and, you know, the inspiration you provide to others. So I want to really thank you for taking the time today. Oh, you're very welcome. 